right. Good morning, North Shore. Alliance, it's good to see you. Welcome to our online guests as well. Um, it's good to be here today. So it's Thanksgiving weekend, and I should mention a couple things. One, it's a family service, and so there are kids here, and that means there's holy noise, okay? So if your parent and your child is here, don't worry. I take every, uh, every peep as an amen, and that's fine. That's fine with us. So don't, don't panic about these things. There'll be noise. There'll be bustling, and that's good stuff. It's a life thing. Um, second, um, you know, I, it's hard for me as an American to have Thanksgiving this weekend. It's hard. It's hard. And so I have like a, my, my, I've been in Canada for 14, almost 15 years, and like my internal turkey cycle hasn't adjusted to the Canadian uh, clock yet. So pray for me um, as I try and figure that out in these times. No, um, uh, before we get into the message, I just want to take a moment and remind you that gratitude is not something that you feel, it's something you practice. Um, you have to practice being grateful and practice saying thank you and practice cultivating feelings of, of enjoyment and life about these things. And so I'm going to give you an assignment right now, okay? If you came to church with someone this morning, you need to express something grateful to that person you're sitting with now, back and forth. If you're here on your own, you get to take your phone out and text someone you love something you're grateful for. Go ahead. Don't, this is it. You get to take your phone out in church, Okay? Uh, it's a good habit, and practice it. And I don't know what your I don't know what your family traditions are around your uh, around your Thanksgiving table. Um, you know, it's nice to express gratitude for the things we have. We're grateful that we live in a nation at peace, and we're grateful that we can assemble for worship together. And we're grateful for the abundance of food around us. Uh, and we're grateful for the resources that God has given us, and grateful for this beautiful place we get to live in. Uh, and grateful for life and family and relationships and grateful for our Lord and grateful for things that were <laughs> sins we're not trapped in anymore and grateful that we have a faithful Lord who will save us uh, despite the things we're going to do as well. Uh, so many things to be grateful for. Uh, and I just encourage you to rest in that gratitude this weekend. Okay, we are here. Um, we've got this Sunday Alliance with our final Sunday on vision and values, and this is the week we get to talk about the global mission of God. Um, and so uh, the plan is for me to preach a slightly shorter sermon, and then really, this is, this is all introduction to uh, today, we get to uh, get a report and celebration from our Zambia team. Uh, so at the end of the sermon, we're going to hear from them uh, for about 10 minutes and learn about the things they did. So I'm going to attempt to preach uh, short, and we'll see if that's possible, Okay. Uh, we've had these weeks to focus our identity, to talk about who we are as a church, what are the things that we are for, rather than things that we are against. And we've pulled these things as key ingredients in the North Shore Alliance Church cupcake. And so there are five of them, five fours. We are for the gospel and the word of God. We are for God's word, a word-based church. For the poor and needy, we are aware of our need of God, but also generous because of God's generosity to us. Uh, we are for the North Shore. We are kingdom-minded but locally engaged. Uh, last week, we talked about how we are for the redemption of the whole human pers person. We are co-pilgrims on this journey of discipleship together. And today, that we are for the global mission of God. 
So within that, there's a couple big headings that I'm going to hopefully catch today. Uh, one of them is I'm going to talk about how God is at work in the world and then how we move with him in missions. Those are the kind of big headings leading us into the Zambia reporting. And I, some of you have been in church a long time, and there are a lot of passages I could have taken to talk about the mission of God. There are a lot I could have done, and a lot I could have featured on, and I picked probably the weirdest one uh, to talk about. So just so you know, I think it's a little odd, uh, but this is what the Lord led me to. So uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 11 through 15. This will be our primary text for today. I'm going to read it for you now. The words are on the screen behind me. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Does that make you think of mission or the global mission of God? Let me see if I can get you to that, uh, to where I see how this leads us into the mission of God. So let's talk about this for a minute. Remember that Jesus Christ and John the Baptist were cousins right? They're related to each other, and they're both in ministry, and their ministries overlapped. Jesus's ministry and John's ministry were going on at the same time, okay? Uh, and John was baptizing in the wilderness, and there's this mass revival in response to his preaching and message, and all these people are flocking to him to hear this word. Uh, he's fulfilling the scripture, preparing the way for the Lord. There's a revival that precedes the preaching of Jesus, and so Jesus shows up, gets baptized by John, which there's some conversation about that, uh, and then starts his own ministry. And so for a good portion of time, like Jesus' and John's disciples are overlapping. And Jesus is stealing some of John's, not stealing, but they're graduating into Jesus' ministry. So John gets arrested by Herod. If you remember, John spoke critically about Herod's sexual life, and Herod threw him in jail. He was upset by this. Uh, and so um, John's sitting in prison, and he sends a deputation to Jesus. He's got some questions. Uh, when Jesus began his ministry, he quotes this passage. It's in Luke chapter 4. It's from Isaiah 61. He says, The Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to release captives who preached recovery sight to the blind, set free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus' ministry. John's in prison. And he's saying, Did you really mean it, Jesus? Am I going to get released from prison if your ministry is here? I think it's a valid question. For poor John the Baptist. And so Jesus gives an answer to John's disciples. He says, hey, all good things are happening. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, right? All this stuff is happening. But he does not promise a release for John. He doesn't say you're going to get out. You're not going to get your release now. In fact, there's other plans at stake. And if you know the end of the story, John gets executed in prison on the whim of a vengeful, a vengeful woman. And he gets killed. So this is the end of John's life. And what John doesn't seem to understand was that as the last of the Old Testament prophets, he had to die a prophet's death. It was part of his mission and call, which John didn't fully understand. So the scripture we've read this morning from Matthew 11 is part of Jesus' interpretation of the life of John. He explains the ministry of John to his disciples. And I'm going to go verse by verse, but not take a ton of time on each of these. So verse 11, part 1. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Okay, so John, is Jesus is saying, John is the best of the Old Testament. He is the greatest Old Testament prophet of all. Top of, he's the best of them. This is what John is saying. However, second half of the verse, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
which is kind of a thing, interesting thing to say. I don't think Jesus is talking about scale. He's not saying that he's scaling our spiritualities. What he thinks he means is that the kingdom is an order of magnitude above everything that's come before. It's beyond it. Now, I, and it, I've got an illustration. It's imperfect. And so let's acknowledge the imperfection of the illustration for a moment, all right? Uh, from about the years 1886 until 1954, people believed that running a four-minute mile was impossible. You couldn't do it. You couldn't break the four-minute mile barrier. Until Roger Bannister, British runner, on a, May, on a cold May day on a wet track, broke the four-minute mile, right? It's actually, you can look it up online. You can watch the full BBC video of him doing it. It's amazing. It's fantastic to watch. As soon as Roger broke the barrier, everybody started breaking, the, not everybody, I can't run my four-minute mile. Um, my dad can. Um, so, so, but everyone could do this. And now the current, the current male world record is three minutes and 43 seconds, which is screamingly fast for these things. Now, uh, to, to, now to bring this back, like, it, it, um, in, how do I say this? Uh, we might put the, if we speak of Roger Bannister the way that Jesus spoke of John the Baptist, we'd say that Bannister was the greatest runner of his generation, but the least competitive runner in our generation is greater than him. Do you see how something has changed? There's been a shift in thinking, and now new things have come. That's imperfect because it has to do with scale in some ways. But I think what we mean is simply this. The coming of Christ's kingdom has changed everything. Everything about spirituality, everything about what it means to be in the life of God, our access to God's kingdom, the power we have through the Spirit, the redemption we receive through Christ, the mission we've received as part of the kingdom exceeds everything that was done by the Old Testament. The least of us in the kingdom of God is greater than John. John was the greatest of the old way, and the least of the new way is greater. I'm going to skip verse 12 for a moment. And we're going to come back to that momentarily. Verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So the witness of the Bible, of God's law and prophets, pointed to Jesus. And Jesus fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. And John was the last of those prophets. If John had written a book, it would be the last book in the Old Testament. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. The New Testament is something new. Uh, so how does Jesus do this? Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. But now apart from literally outside the law, a righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Uh, what's Paul saying? Paul is saying that the law had one thing, and now the law and the prophets points to Jesus, and Jesus is the new way for people who believe. Okay? Uh, let's go on to Matthew verse 14. Okay. I think the Romans passage was going to go up. Oh, there it is. And now we'll go on to the next. If you're willing to accept it, John himself is the Elijah, is Elijah who was to come. That's kind of an interesting phrase, but Jesus is directly referencing a, prophet, a prophecy from the book of Malachi. Can we go to the next slide? Uh, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Now, uh, Jesus isn't saying that John is Elijah reincarnated. Uh, that's not our doctrine. Uh, essentially, what he's saying, uh, Elijah becomes to represent the prophets, comes to represent the word of God spoken to people in a time of trial. And John is the figure of Elijah doing this, bringing this to the world uh, in a very specific way. And so from the days, this is what's happened with John. 
And then verse 15, very quickly, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a kind of gauntlet challenge from Jesus. If you've got the guts, believe it. If you don't have the guts, walk away. Uh, which is uh, kind of how Jesus rolls sometimes. Let's go back to verse 12, because here's the really interesting part. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. That's a weird thing to say. It's an odd phrase. What's going on? Well, there's a translation issue, and the translation issue leads to a couple of things. Uh, the words for suffers violence and violent men, they, they, they're basically the same word. So, so um, Jesus is playing on words here somehow. Uh, but what's more, the translation can go more than one way. So like this says, it's passive. The kingdom receives the action of the verb. The kingdom suffers violence, and violent men lay hold of it. And that would maybe mean that like the prophets uh, advance God's word, but they get attacked by enemies, like John is being attacked by Herod. Um, and because of this, the kingdom is being manipulated by the strong and by things. I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure that's right, although it's a, it's a, it's a possible meaning. Uh, more likely, and this is what I think, the verse could be more active. And so instead of suffering violence, it could mean the kingdom is forcefully advancing. Now, this changes it a little bit. The kingdom is driving forward. The kingdom is purposefully moving forward. Or even one translation option is the kingdom is triumphally advancing. And if this is the case, we've got another translation. Let's put the next slide up, and you'll see it for a moment. Uh, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven forcefully advances, and the forceful lay hold of it. Something is happening in God's kingdom. And if this is the case, then the message that John is giving to Jesus is, Jesus is giving to John's disciples is this. John, you handed the baton to me, and now we're charging forward. It's not the old kingdom, it's the new kingdom, and it's time to get on board. Things may not be what you expect. And this is kind of what I actually think is going on in this passage. So how does this get us to the global mission of God? Well, a couple summary statements to make. Number one, if you're following in your notes, it's quite simple. God, the kingdom, excuse me, is on the move. The kingdom is moving. It's going someplace. It's doing things. It's not stagnant or still. It doesn't, uh, it's advancing toward the goals of God. It's bringing in new souls. It's healing the sick. It's releasing captives. It's seeking justice and mercy of God in all things. What's more, the kingdom has always been moving. There's never been a time when God wasn't on the move in the world. From day one, he's had a mission. He's had plans. From day one, he's trying to do something in our world, and he wants us to be part of it. God is on the move. Are we going to move with him? This becomes the question. If we want to employ a military metaphor, uh, the world right now is hostile territory and the kingdom of God is God's advances into this world. We've got strongholds and outposts and like an army, we have vanguards and rear guards, but we have what we are is the avant-garde. We're the advanced troop sent forward into the world to find out what God is doing. It'd be his agents and, mission, and missionaries in the world and each of us in this respect participates in the mission of God. And what's this mission business? Well, it's the saving of souls, the declaration of God's praise, the healing and restoring of the lost. It's all the stuff that we're called to do as a church. The kingdom is on the move. Second key reason to look at this passage is because this. Number two, Jesus himself is moving, and we want to be in step with him. Jesus is moving. We want to be in step with him. A funny thing happens with Christians. Have you seen this? We try to recreate blessings, right? Right? 
We hear about there's, there's a, a revival happens somewhere, and so we study the conditions of the revival and then try to recreate them so we could maybe bribe Jesus to showing up in a special way here too, right? Or we have a time when great songs were sung and we felt really emotionally deeply moved by them, and so we come back to them and back to them and back to them and back to them to try and like get back to the place where Jesus was previously. But he's moving. He's doing things. He's advancing. He's on mission. He's going places. And the journey of faith isn't like tracing the footsteps of Jesus like some kind of cosmic game of where in the world is Carmen San Diego. Do you remember that game? Some of you were, boy, boy, some of you were born in the 80s like me, right? You had to find Carmen, and then every time you got there, she was gone. She'd gone somewhere else, and you had to find her again by clues. That's not what the spiritual life is like. We don't chase Jesus around like that to try and find the last places he's been. We try to be in step with him. I'm going to give you a kind of silly illustration, but it'll help you. Here's figure one, all right? This is Jesus. Well, it's not Jesus. It's a cross representing Jesus, so just so you're not confused by that, okay? Uh, and we can find, we can plot ourselves in proximity to Jesus in certain ways. Let's go to the second figure. So each dot maybe represents a person. And if you were making judgments about this, you'd say, uh, who are the people who are closest to Jesus? And you'd, you'd make judgments based on which dot was closest, right? This guy down in the corner over here, oh my goodness, he's the one who's not, uh, he's so far away, he's not anywhere near. And this guy, oh, he's right in the armpit of Jesus. That's where we all want to be, right? Okay, let's go to the third figure for a moment. We have to remember that each of us is moving. Some of us are moving toward Jesus, and some of us are moving away from Jesus. Wow, this guy in the armpit of Jesus, he's on flight mode, right? This guy at the foot of Jesus, he's trying to get as close as he can, right? And this guy, who knows what he's doing? He's off in the boondoggle, right? But we've got, we're all on a funny journey. But the thing we have to remember on top of all this fourth figure is that Jesus himself is moving. And we make judgments about where people are going, but sometimes they're in step with Jesus. This guy doing the curly cue, we thought he was on his way out, but in fact, he's in step with Jesus in certain ways. Now, it's a silly illustration, in some way it's helpful, but I just want you to see that, that we, Jesus is moving, and we're trying to be in step with him, not just personally, but as a church. Where is the Lord going? What is he doing in our city? How do we get in step with where he is and where he's doing and what his heart is for this place? And that's a huge part of what it means to be on this, uh, on this journey with the kingdom of God. So, the mission of Jesus, what is it? Bring about the fullness of his kingdom on earth. Bring lost souls back into right relationship with him to change lives, to create a holy priesthood of men and women who will walk with, walk with him, serve him, and together seek to glorify God the Father. So, when we say that we are for the global mission of God, this is the main thing we are for. We are people who recognize that God is on the move and that Jesus is on the move and that we want to be in step with him and on part of, on part of the mission. That's the first and most important thing. I'm going to move pretty quickly through some of these things because I need to trim this off. Uh, one of the key ways we get on board is through prayer. Uh, and I just want to briefly highlight this next slide is going to have uh, a version of the Lord's Prayer that you're probably not familiar with. Uh, each of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer is a request. Um, it's not just nice words that we say. You're asking God to do something. Uh, and I just want to highlight that there's two halves to this prayer. The first half of the prayer, these first four petitions, invite God to do things. And the second half of the prayer invites, requests the things we need to be part of the mission. So, what are we praying? We pray to our Father in heaven, not your, not mine, but ours, one family. We ask Him to make His name holy in the world. We ask him to cause his kingdom to come in the world. We ask him to make it so that his will is done. And we ask him to make it so that things on earth are as they are in heaven. 
These are pretty powerful prayers, but they get us in line with what God's kingdom business is doing. They align us with God's kingdom. And now, in response to this, what do we need to be servants of the kingdom? Well, we need four things. We need food. Give us today the bread we need. And just as badly as we need food, we need forgiveness, right? Give us forgiveness is the thing we need. And then the other things we need is we need protection from temptations and protection from the evil one. Those are the things we need to fulfill our part of the mission. If you're going to pray, when Jesus says pray, this is how you should pray. Uh, If you're going to pray like the Lord's Prayer, it's very simple. Lord, give me the mindset of your kingdom and give me what I need to be obedient to it. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. And so we pray to get ourselves in alignment with this thing. All right? And this brings me to my final point, which is the kingdom is a global kingdom. A global kingdom. You know what, actually, I'm going to skip that point. We're going to go straight to Matthew 28. How's that? Because I want to get us to Zambia stuff. Uh, Jesus, this is the verse I could have taken for mission, but I didn't. Jesus came and spoke to his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus gives us command to be on mission with him. And the first part, there's actually four commands, go, right? And then the second command is make disciples. And the third command is baptize. And the fourth command is teach. And being on mission with Jesus means fulfilling all of these things. And in one sense, being a church that is for the global mission of God means being committed to fulfilling the command of this passage. Now, traditionally, the going has been the role of missions work. Hopefully, all of you are familiar with missions work and the history of the church. Um, It was a traditional appeal when I was growing up. This is the appeal. Hey, uh, we love the lost, and there are people in the world who are lost who've never heard about Jesus. They don't know about these things. How will they hear unless someone goes, and maybe that someone is you? And so we feel a sense of burden for the lost, and then people respond to that burden, and we send them out. It's been very powerful. And today, the global church actually outnumbers the Western church. It's my understanding that South Korea sends them more missionaries than any other country. So powerful, powerful work. But I think we have to recognize there are some problems with the traditional model. And the chief problem probably is that 500 years of church history have shown that the gospel, when tied to colonialism, leaves a bad taste in the mouths of the people it reaches. There's been something unpleasant in how these come together. Christianity, when allied with earthly power, becomes tainted by that association. American missionary E. Stanley Jones uh, went to India in the 1920s and 30s, and he was there as a non-British citizen observing how the British Raj and Christianity had soured the taste of Christianity in the Indian mouth. Because he was an outsider, he could speak to it in a fresh way. Uh, But it was a very, very dangerous time. So this leaves us in a tough spot sometimes. I mean, we're the Christian and Missionary Alliance. This mission's work is a vital part of who we are as a church and of where we are in history. So how do we reach the lost but disentangle our message from the ugliness of colonialism? What does that look like? Well, it takes some creativity. We can't abandon the commandment to missions, but we can be wise. And this means that our our disposition shifts from a posture of, excuse me, from imposition to partnership. How do we ally ourselves with the Christians and churches on the ground in the world? How do we have a picture of the global church such that we recognize that we share in the mission's work with others in these places? How do we come alongside rather than impose? And I'm pleased to tell you that this has been the posture of our missions team here at North Shore Alliance. 
Uh, and just briefly before, in fact, the Zambia team can start to come and uh, take their places. You ready, Dave? Come on, Dave. Okay. Uh, we, support, uh, we support 10 missions workers. We've got a board out in the foyer. You're welcome to look at that later. Uh, five uh, kind of locally and five who are abroad. Um, all of them in supporting roles. The abroad missionaries are people in Kenya, uh, Zambia, we'll hear from today, Asia, Eastern Europe, and the Caribbean. Uh, and in each place, we have a wonderful opportunity to be uh, partners with these people. And rather than me talk about it, I get to let Dave celebrate it. So, Dave, it's your show. So, Elliot, we can go to my first slide. Thank you. In August, 13 of us had the privilege of being sent by you, North Star Alliance Church, on a missions trip hosted by our missions partners, Kim and Brendan Vowell, who had a Project Samuel, a children's home in rural Zambia, Africa. This trip was profound, both personally and professionally. God ministered powerfully to me and to our team members through our time on the mission of Jesus in Zambia. We were tasked with three things. One, funding and helping construct a $35,000, 5.5-kilometer post and wire electric fence. Two, helping run a five-day soccer and VBS camp for local village kids aged birth to 17. Three, we were tasked with leading evening discipleship sessions with the Project Samuel kids. For 15-plus years, missionary Brendan Vowell dreamt of a fence around the Project Samuel property to provide protection from the animals that eat their crops and vegetation and from other more dangerous creatures like the three-foot-long cobras we encountered. They were dead when we saw them, thankfully. And that fence took a minor miracle to build. The first afternoon, our team walked the entire fence line, and I was thinking... It's a lot hotter here than I remember last time. This is a big fence. Why did I ever sign us up for this? And only half the fence posts are in. We will never get this done. Then over the next week, I didn't share that with anybody, maybe Gary, my roommate, that was about it. Then over the next week, God moved mightily. Team members quickly learned and taught others how to roll, pull, tack, and H post. It was hard work, long days on the line in the hot sun. But it was wonderful to work alongside local village workers and Project Samuel kids and graduates to finish a fence that will significantly increase livestock and agricultural sustainability for the project and the surrounding villages. Each morning, we partnered with Project Samuel kids, graduates, and workers to run a VBS and soccer camp that grew to 200 kids by week's end. We only had 25 soccer balls. When you have a soccer ball, though, you have a captive audience. At halftime each day, a team member gave a testimony translated into the local language that was followed by a smaller group discussion. God was at work. Especially meaningful to witness was the growth of women's soccer since our last visit in 2019. On the Friday, we ran a memorable ladies' football tournament with over 50 players. It's my ministry highlight of the trip. I ran 10 kilometers, refereeing a high-quality match featuring multiple displays of intensity and joy 
from the girls and women who participated. A few things God showed me on this trip. First, the Project Samuel kids love well. They value deep community. On my morning walks, kids would suddenly appear on my shoulder to walk and talk and pray together to start the day. Second, the simple life is so freeing. After a robust discussion about their desire for computers and cell phones, the Project Samuel kids and I joked, careful what you wish for. Eat, sleep, fence, soccer, people, Jesus. Simple is beautiful and life-giving. Third, the mission of Jesus is unstoppable. 200 kids show up for camp in the mornings, and that's also the best time to build a fence. Our team is stretched. Without the Project Samuel kids, graduates, girls stepping up to swing hammers, we don't finish that fence. Never doubt, what God wants done always gets done. Final, God's people grow when they're out on mission. It was so cool for me to see team members thrust into challenging situations, lean into Jesus, and take big steps in their faith journey through this trip. And we're going to hear from two team members. Now I'm going to invite Megan and Luke to come and join me here, and they're going to each share a testimony. We'll start with Megan. Yeah, I keep telling people that I just didn't want to come home from this trip because it's true, I didn't. <laughs> and I think it was because we just, we really did see God moving in such incredible ways. Like it was absolutely unbelievable. And I think that one of the biggest things God taught me there was um, just how he can grow our capacities to love and he can give us the skill sets that we need to build his kingdom, even when we're being stretched, even when we're faced with cross-cultural situations and things that are outside of our comfort zone, because I was very much outside of my comfort zone. <laughs> um, I was really apprehensive, mostly about teaching, preaching, coaching soccer with a language barrier and ministering to people with a completely other life experience. Um, but time and time again, God proved that nothing stands as a barrier between uh, his people, and um, especially when love is at the forefront. Early into the trip, uh, like Dave said, we did lots of discipleship with the kids, and I got to lead a devotional night with some of the Project Samuel girls, and we had a ton of fun. It was wild. Have you guys ever done the human knot, like, teamworking challenge? They did that, and when they got it, the celebration was wild. Everybody around the project was like, what were you guys doing? But we had so much fun um, that it really just allowed us to connect and it opened up space for more conversations um, down the road. Like when we were playing soccer in the mornings, we played volleyball every night. Um, the girls and I were tacking the fence the whole five and a half kilometers. And we just had some really, really sweet one-on-one -on -one time um, to build relationships. And then at the end of the week, in one of the biggest highlights of my ministry career so far, is I got to preach at the Sunday service at Project Samuel. And again, despite a cultural difference, a language barrier, I felt like I was able to communicate clearly the word that the Lord had gave me because we had spent the time building up those relationships. 
and everyone who was there, they knew my heart for them, I knew their heart for me, and yeah, just really the love that we held first and foremost, foremost for the Lord overcame any barriers, any differences that we had. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Luke, and I was so fortunate to be a part of the Zambian missions team uh, this summer. Uh, kind of as Pastor Dave said, our main objectives was to build five and a half kilometers of fence, um, as well as running soccer camps, along with building relationship with the kids and um, encouraging our missionaries. Um, although I did help build the fence, I was mainly there to assist Dave in running soccer camps. If you don't know much about me, I've been playing soccer my whole life. I've played on many great teams and in many important games. Um, but, and yet, the soccer I saw in Zambia was unlike anything I have ever experienced before, including seeing a bicycle kick goal one day during one of the games. Incredible. <laughs> um, most kids played in bare feet, and only very few had flip-flops, um, but that didn't stop them from being so joyful. They played like it was all they had, and for some of them, I'm sure it was. Um, this same mentality translated to their relationship with Jesus. They love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It radiates off who they are, and um, it was so encouraging to feel the Holy Spirit at work. Uh, during a halftime talk one day, there was a question along the lines of, what is the word you would use to describe Jesus? A boy answered, he's the giver of life. Um, um, it reminded me that our God is so good and that he is worthy of praise. All of this has given me a deeper faith. Um, throughout the trip, there are a number of situations where I had to step up and lead, giving a halftime talk, leading a devotional with the boys, um, and leading foot skills for the camp. While a lot of them felt uncomfortable at the time, it has only grown me as a leader. Um, why, why fear when God is at the forefront? The experience I had in Zambia has been very fruitful in my life, and this mission trip was a great reminder that God is growing his kingdom all over the world, and we are a part of it. Thank you, team. Now you can see our video.